Hi folks, my name is Jason Tyrell. I'm one of the elders at Joy of Pittman. Uh, it is really, really good to be with you this morning. Great to see uh, so many faces that I know and love, some new faces that I do not know, uh, and just excited to, to be here with you. Uh, I bring greetings from Joy of Pittman. We miss and love you all very much, but continue to be excited for what the Lord has done over these last eight months. I mean, could you have mapped out a better set of months in which to plant a new church uh, than, the, than the last eight months that we have had? But the Lord knows, right? And, and even just thinking about His providence um, of beautiful weather, right? This is what, week 17 of being outside, and 16 of them have been beautiful mornings, or at least serviceable mornings. Uh, so we are thankful for that. I know we've been rejoicing in that as we've been gathering outside. Uh, it's always a great joy to be invited to preach at another church, and even more so when uh, it's filled with, with faces of those I know and love and miss. And even more so, what a privilege when uh, the pastor of the church tells the guest preacher that he wants him to come and preach on politics. What, what, what a blessing. Thank you, Ben. It's ben, ben is forcing me to do this. Uh, no, it's, a, it's an honor and a privilege, and, and it is a vital topic. It's, uh, Jeremy was praying about it. We've been reading Scripture passages that remind us of it, and we are living in a, a very uh, challenging moment for our nation, our world, and for the church. We live in interesting times, but we also know the one who governs them all, all of our times. Now ben has asked me this morning to reflect on Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1, especially focusing on uh, the application for our political times, the Christian and politics. How do we think in a Christian way? And certainly these verses cover broader ground than that, but they have wonderful application for our political climate. Three things I want us to reflect on this morning, and I like I try to do these three-point sermons so because that's what pastors do. Uh, I probably won't even mention when I'm moving from point one to point two to point three. They just kind of flow into each other. But these are the three things I'm seeing uh, in this text. One, the world's citizenship and how Paul calls the believers at Philippi to imitate him. Uh, second, our citizenship our citizenship as Christians. And then third, the certainty of that citizenship and how it shapes our present lives. And more than a political sermon, it would be, we, we get 52 weeks a year, 52 Sundays a year to get to stand in front of you and proclaim the truth of God's word. And uh, certainly my hope is for much more than a political sermon, an opportunity for us to examine our hearts, examine our lives in light of the cross of Christ, in light of who we are in Christ. So let's read Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 4, 1. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. 
Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit's work, you would work in each of our hearts and minds this morning, that my words would be faithful to your word. And we all acknowledge that apart from your grace, we have nothing. I pray, Lord, that the gospel would be clearly proclaimed and that you would use this time for your glory and for our good. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippi was a place of much civic pride. Philippi was a Roman colony, the site of a major military victory in the year 42 B.C. Uh, Mark Antony, you know that name uh, from history? Mark Antony, had, uh, he, was, he was a Roman citizen, uh, an, an, yeah, sorry, uh, an opponent of uh, Octavian Augustus. There was a schism among the Roman people, and Mark Antony sided with his beloved Cleopatra, to go to war against Rome and Octavian. It divided even Rome itself, they say, was about 60-40 in favor of Octavian over Mark Antony. But at Philippi uh, in the year 42 BC, there was a major military victory for Octavian over Mark Antony that strengthened the Roman Empire, and many military veterans became citizens of Philippi. There was, there was a lot of civic pride, uh, a lot of uh, tribute to the nation of Rome, and, uh, and they were generally, the people of Philippi were generally well treated by their government. They were seen as, as heroes, and, and they were even exempt from paying taxes uh, to, the, to the Roman governors. There was a great feeling of civic pride, and it's not unlike the feeling of pride that, that many Americans have in being American. We learn of Paul's missionary work. Jeremy even referenced it in uh, Acts chapter 16. We learn of his missionary work in Acts chapter 16, where uh, we, we see in the beginning of Acts chapter 16 the, the, what's known as the Macedonian call. The call, uh, Paul, Paul's prevented from going to Bithynia and called to Macedonia, and Philippi is in Macedonia. We learn of Lydia's conversion, as, as Jeremy prayed about this morning. We learn about... Uh, the casting out of a spirit of divination from a slave girl, the imprisonment of Paul and Silas as a result of that work. We read of the, the miraculous conversion of the Philippian jailer and his family after the, the miracle happens at the prison where all, all the bonds are broken. There's a great earthquake and the jailer sees that all the prisoners could go free and Paul says, hey, we're all here. Nobody left. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? If this, if this is what your God can do, after he was going to kill himself, he then says, what must I do to be saved? And his family is converted and baptized. We see that Paul and Silas are released from jail with the apologies of the officials. 
Oh, we're going to get back to that in a little bit. Paul does not take that laying down. He appeals to his Roman citizenship as a way of calling out their mistreatment of him. After that, Paul and Silas visit with Lydia and the brothers and they leave Philippi. Paul loved the Philippian church. He loved all the churches, but we saw even in this passage today, he calls them his joy and his crown. We see in the book of Philippians that, that Paul thanks them for being in their great poverty. They were one of the churches that supported his ministry financially in the midst of their great trial and tribulation. He loved the church at Philippi, and he labored for their good. Philippi was at the, the, the intersection of civic and ethnic pride, Roman glory, and the gospel. Paul himself knew a great deal about this. He too knew what it was to boast in who he was, in where he was from. Yet in this letter, he tells the church at Philippi something shocking. Everything he once boasted in, everything he counted as the sources of his greatest pride, his circumcision on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Jew to surpass all Jews, a Pharisee even, a persecutor of the church, a righteous law keeper. He even calls himself blameless as to his interpretation of the law. All of that he counted as what? Rubbish. Garbage. Compared to this one thing, knowing Jesus Christ. For the sake of Christ, he suffered the loss of all things, all status symbols, all boasting points. All his efforts at righteousness by status were faded glories in his mind, not glories at all compared to this one thing, gaining Jesus, being found in Jesus. Therefore, Paul spent his life pressing on toward that one goal. What was his one goal in his life? The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was his consuming passion, his true hope. And here in this, this passage, Paul calls the Philippian believers to follow his example and the example of faithful brothers and sisters around them. Because they lived in the midst of a society that did not live this way. They didn't live for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing on toward the goal of, of that upward call was a foreign concept to them. Not on the mind of the average citizen. And probably seemed foolish to many. Pie in the sky. Fake. The Roman society was very much a here and now society. There is nothing else. Live for now. There is no eternity. Paul says here with tears. Did you notice that when we read that passage? He said, I, I say even now with, with tears. That's not a, a throwaway phrase. He's talking about these people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose God is their belly. Who live for their own indulgence. And with tears, he says that. Paul does not think of those who reject Christ, even those who may be his fiercest opponents, as caricatures. He weeps over their separation from God. 
It's a good word for us. It is easy for us. And I'm thinking about this political climate that we live in or this COVID climate that we live in. Some think that the political and the COVID are one and the same, but I'm not going to speculate on that today. It's easy for us to think of, speak of, and treat those who do not think like we do as if they're not even real human beings. Because I'm right, and I know what's right, and anybody who doesn't think like me is an idiot. Meanwhile, here we have the Apostle Paul weeping, wishing. And I'm not, I'm not trying to equate our political position with spiritual position, but he's weeping over those who don't think like he does, who may be actively opposed to his ministry. You read Acts chapter 16 this week. Well, apparently Jeremy's life group already did. And, and you see in Acts chapter 16, Paul was not just welcomed by everybody in Philippi. He ends up in jail. They're seen as troublemakers. They're taking away people's livelihoods by casting a demon out of this, this young woman. Paul is weeping over those who oppose. He says with tears that there are many who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. These are people who boast in earthly things. They seek to live it up here and now. They treat this world as if it is all there is. They glory in their shame. This is possibly a reference to them also, maybe like Paul, boasting in their circumcision or their social status, much like he once did. Their God is their belly. They live with the mantra, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. This world is all there is, therefore seek as much glory, as much ground for boasting, and as much enjoyment as you possibly can, because then, once we die, it's all over. It's all gone. And this is the way of the world today. With today's topic at hand and in our cultural moment, we see it so clearly in the political landscape. There is a desperation. Do you feel that? You, I mean, I don't know how involved you are in watching these campaign ads or following it on social media or watching debates. There is a desperation among the people of our nation. A growing divide, maybe in some of our families even. While both sides have extremely different views, both sides are also expressing the same exact thought. Whatever side of these things you're on, the, the, the people are expressing the same exact thought. Everything is falling apart, and if we do not fix it, our lives will be destroyed. Do you think that sums up the message of both sides of the political spectrum? Everything is a disaster. If we don't fix it, it will be destroyed. Right? This is the essence of the unbelieving world's mindset. A people who live in constant fear of disaster or death. A constant fear of losing everything. That's why their God is their belly. They must have now. They must get glory. They must preserve their kingdom. Must fight for my God. Why is this country so fractured, so vitriolic right now? Because gods are at war and people are fighting for their gods. I want what I want because I cannot be happy without it. 
My worth is found in it. I have no life if this does not prevail. If my God loses, I am ruined. And it's sad to say that oftentimes Christians fall into the exact same mindset. If we lose this, this election, I've I've heard it. This election is for the soul of our nation. Well, it, it may be that we need to make tough choices. But if we have the mindset that if we lose this, we lose everything, we can't survive. We can't exist. We're wrong. Brothers and sisters, this must not be our mindset. Why not? I'm glad you asked. Because our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in a colony. Oh, sorry, I I put two sentences together that ought not go together. In a colony that boasted of its citizenship, okay, Paul uses this word. If you have your Bibles out, actually, I'll show it to you. In 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And this word citizenship is uh, at its root in Greek, the word where we get politics from. It's it's that word, being a, a citizen of a place. In a a colony that boasted of its citizenship, Paul tells the church to boast in this. Boast in the fact that you are residents of the heavenly kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. That's something worth boasting in. Every earthly boast, even the greatest earthly boasting, ends. But we who have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ... We who have seen the futility of our earthly pursuits as gods. We who have seen our sin and our need and our desperate state and have looked to the cross of Christ. While we were enemies of the cross of Christ, like those Paul describes here. But we believe that his death paid for our sins. That his blood shed is sufficient. For our salvation, we know it to be true. Brothers and sisters, I pray you know this to be true. That we are possessors of a kingdom that will never end. Do you believe that? Our life on this earth is to be a life of waiting for our greatest treasure. Not a life of pursuing it here and now. Paul says that we await a Savior from heaven. We read that in in 2 Timothy 4.8 during the service. We see it in Hebrews 9, the end of Hebrews 9. I love that verse. Jesus is going to come to save who? Those who are eagerly waiting for him. We wait for a Savior from heaven. And this means, brothers and sisters, that we disavow the idea that someone on earth will ultimately save us. Earthly saviors are temporary and flawed, but the Savior we ultimately wait for is spotless and almighty. The Savior who we wait for will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. What an amazing statement. 
All things are presently subject to him, by the way. We just don't see it yet fully. But one day we will see it. Everything subject to Christ. And that is who we wait for. The Savior who we wait for, the Lord Jesus Christ, is not a dead Savior. Our hope is not in a dead Savior, but in a crucified and risen Savior. Therefore, our waiting is not in vain. Our waiting is not a fool's errand. The world thinks it's crazy. Right? To say, if I don't, if I don't get everything I want in this life, it's okay because I have Christ. And I'm waiting for the fulfillment of all the treasures that I long for. And He is the fulfillment of all the treasures that I long for. And our waiting is not in vain because Christ was raised from the dead. Our waiting is for a certain triumph, a certain transformation, and a certain glory. Because of that, we can listen to Paul's exhortation earlier in Philippians. In 127, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That word translated manner of life in 127, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, that word is, is the root, exact same word, citizenship. Paul, in essence, is telling these brothers and sisters to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Citizens of a certain place. Of a definite future. And he tells them to live in step with the gospel and not in step with the ways of the world. When you live as citizens of the kingdom of God, by doing so, you acknowledge that you do not quite fit in here. So Paul says, we are, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And when we acknowledge that, we, we acknowledge that we do not quite fit in here. Have you felt that? I don't quite fit in here. We see this theme everywhere in Scripture. That many times the people of God are not accepted by the people around them. They are outcasts. Jesus himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. While, while loved by, by many, Jesus was hated by many, many. The Bible speaks of believers as sojourners, foreigners here on earth. And that can be tremendously uncomfortable at times. People don't understand why we do what we do, why we say what we say why we abstain from what we abstain from. Sometimes we uh, face mockery, rejection, even by those closest to us, maybe even by our own family members. Think we're foolish for what we, we do or believe or say. And in our society, in ever-increasing measure, uh, believers in Christ are treated as uh, relics of the past. Closed-minded. Fools. And be honest. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants to be thought of as a fool. Nobody wants to feel like they're not respected. Nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to live on the fringes. We want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want people to, to applaud us and pat us on the back. 
But Paul here reminds the Philippian believers, this is not the ultimate call for your life. This is not what Christ rescued you for. You are not missing out. There, that is in us. That's in all of us. That, that, that fear of missing out. That if I don't get this, adulation, respect, money, power, authority, whatever it is on this earth, I'm missing out. And Paul is reminding them, you're missing out on nothing. You are citizens of heaven. Later in the letter, he's going to tell them that they can be content in whatever circumstances they find in their lives, right? Why can they be content in every circumstance? Because they have Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Better said, Christ has them. Brothers and sisters, do you believe this? Do you believe that nothing that happens here on earth can touch a smidgen of all that is yours in Jesus? Do you believe that? Nothing that happens, no trials, no, no tribulations, no election can touch a smidgen of all that is yours here on, uh, or yours in Christ yet to come? Do you believe that in coming to Christ, you have acknowledged that every earthly source of ultimate hope is temporary? That every earthly boast is going to fade away? That everything falls short in comparison to, in comparison to the surpassing eternal worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord? If you know that, and if you know that Jesus' resurrection guarantees your eternal safety and joy, then guess what, brothers and sisters? You are the most free people on the face of the earth. You are citizens of a kingdom that has no end. You are citizens of a place where every wrong will be righted. Every evil will be extinguished and every broken thing will be fixed, guaranteed. Paul says here in 4.1, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm thus. Strengthen yourselves with the reminder that we don't gather on Sunday mornings to play pretend. This is a special gathering. We don't gather to play pretend. This isn't a group of people who just get together to make, our, make ourselves feel good and then we go home. It's None of it's real. We don't gather to talk ourselves into a fairy tale. We gather to remember that we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That no matter what happened to us this week or this year or even this lifetime, our hope is secure that we should never divert our eyes away from that ultimate reality. That's what we gather to remind one another of. So with all of that said, I'll probably wrap it up at some point in the near future. With all of that said, does our heavenly citizenship mean that we have no part to play in the land of our earthly dwelling? Does that mean like, who, then who cares about what happens on earth? Is that what it means? Absolutely not. Paul is not instructing the Philippian church to withdraw from society. In fact, it was, it was in Philippi, as I mentioned earlier, where Paul appeals to his Roman citizenship to, to get a, per, a proper 
released from prison. They wanted to quietly like sneak him out of the town. Sorry about that. We didn't know. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a Roman citizen. And as publicly as you put me in prison, I want you to publicly release me. He was not afraid to use his rights as a citizen. He used it to his fullest ability. And we too who live in this land have that ability and that privilege. We live in a free land. We are blessed to live in a land where we can have a voice, where we can vote, where we can play a part in the governing of our land. And I know that there are some religious groups that say, we're going to separate ourselves from society. I, I do not good catch. I do not believe that that is faithful or the most faithful calling, but that, that is a, an area maybe of Christian disagreement. Paul is encouraging these believers, and we see Peter do the same, encouraging these believers to be active citizens in the place of their dwelling, understanding that their ultimate citizenship is elsewhere, praying for those in authority, seeking to do good where God has you, Heavenly citizens should be the very best earthly citizens. You are sent into this world as ambassadors for Christ, called to a manner of life worthy of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the church in Philippi, Paul reminds the church of Philippi in chapter 2 about the Lord Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. This is the earthly life of Jesus, emptying himself, taking the form of a servant, humbling himself to the point of death. Now he is highly exalted and has the name that is above every name. He is our risen and exalted Savior. So while we dwell on this earth, our call is to have the same attitude Christ had. Jesus was not worried about loss of joy or missing out. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. His worst possible moment, his most impossible moment, was blessed because of the joy set before him. We too who are in Christ can take the low position. Citizens of heaven, citizens of earth, we can take the low position and live as though we have nothing to lose because everything we have, all our treasures are safe and secure. And so we can live as though we have nothing to lose because nothing can touch our inheritance. Nothing can steal our eternal joy. So we can serve boldly as citizens in this place with no fear, compelled by the love of Christ. We are privileged to participate and privileged that our hope lies elsewhere. Your ultimate hope is not going to be found on November 3rd. You are privileged that your hope lies elsewhere. And so while we live as citizens here, we have a voice to speak out for the things that are very near and dear to the heart of Christ. 
And I challenge you as I, as I move toward closing, if you find that every single thing you think is near and dear to the heart of Christ lines up with one particular political party, you may be wrong. And I understand that in election season, we generally are asked to choose between the best among the flawed. That's bottom line. And we should seek to promote and vote toward that which best shows the heart of Christ. But I urge you to consider, examine yourself. If you are lock, stock, and barrel saying that one party has the claim on Christianity, examine your heart. Make sure that your political party is not your idol. And that goes on both sides. We can live in this land as citizens who seek the good of others, who do not wage war as the world wages war. If you feel as comfortable having a, a belligerent, nasty, attack-filled conversation on social media or in person with somebody who doesn't think like you politically, examine yourself. That is not right. We can engage in conversation without seeking to destroy our neighbor. We can pursue truth without giving up the call to love. We can become uncomfortable if it means bringing glory to God. We can sacrifice our own well-being if the situation warrants it. We can speak for those who have no voice. We can rescue those who have no ability to rescue themselves. We can pray to God to put people in office who represent us and what He loves. If that happens, we can rejoice. And if it doesn't happen, we can rejoice then too. Because our hope is untouchable. And what is before us is temporary. And if you look historically, in all honesty, many times in history, the church thrives and grows when it's on the margins of society, when it loses its voice in power, and when it seeks to serve and love those around it. And if that happens, even in America, and I please hear me, I don't want that to happen. That's not my desire. But if that were to happen, you have not lost an ounce of everything you hope in. You are citizens of heaven. And this is temporary. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you and for us is that the Lord would grant us the grace to be the absolute best earthly citizens because we have nothing to lose. So we can lay our lives down for the good of others. We can lay our lives down for the cause of Christ. Everything we stand to gain is certain and it is being guarded in heaven for you. And you will be rewarded on the last day when He comes back. Joe Biden cannot take that away from you. Donald Trump cannot give that to you. Jesus Christ has secured it for you. And He will make it happen. For every single sinful man, woman, and child who looks to Him with eyes of faith, you are citizens of heaven. 
citizens of heaven, may God grant us much grace to be the best earthly citizens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your grace for any of this to happen. And first, we just want to celebrate your grace in our lives. Who among us is worthy of being declared a citizen of heaven? And yet in your mercy, through Christ's sacrifice, you call all who look to you in faith citizens of heaven. Trusting in a crucified and resurrected Savior with a hope that is certain and secure. Lord, while you have us to dwell here, make us faithful citizens of heaven as citizens of earth, citizens of America, citizens of New Jersey. May we be found faithful to honoring you in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts. Forgive us, Father, where we have fallen short. May we be granted the grace to live every day in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. We thank you for our great hope and salvation. And in all things, even as we're about to sing, Lord, because of the hope we have, we can truly sing, it is well with our souls. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.